The polarization of contemporary culture in many ways is reflected in the breakdown of the Christian landscape, with some churches doubling down on their biblical roots and having that flow into a deeper conviction and involvement in issues like the pro-life movement, while others seem to flop around like dying fish, constantly trying to prove to the culture that they're progressive, they're with the times, completely abandoning their biblical roots. Today, I'm joined by Samuel Green, President and Legal Counsel for Reason for Life. And he and I talk about not only the biblical case for life, but also how to engage pastors, priests, church leaders, and members of the Christian community in meaningful conversations about the issue of abortion. Hi, folks, and welcome to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Cam Cote. I am your host, and I'd like to welcome you to this show that's dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have meaningful, effective, mind-changing, life-saving, culture-transforming conversations about abortion. That's what we're all about here, um, and that's why I'm excited that you're tuning in so that you can be a more effective, more eloquent, more winsome pro-life ambassador. Whether you're talking to friends and family, whether you're talking to people at work, whether you're talking to random strangers in your community, um, I'm here to help you have better conversations about abortion. So thanks a ton for tuning in. As we'll get into in just a moment here, we've got a real cool guest joining us today, Samuel Green from Reason for Life. Um, but before we dive into that, I just want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. Absolutely appreciate all of your in involvement. I will be catching up with many of you here in the coming weeks. Um, now that I'm getting back on top of the Pro-Life Guys email list, apologies on the delay on that. Um, and wanted to give a shout out to all the pro-life groups that are doubling down, preparing for um, what is no doubt going to be a very fascinating and very involved summer. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing what comes out of the Supreme Court. But regardless of what comes out of the Supreme Court decision coming up here um, shortly, if it's not released by time of posting, um, seeing especially the educational pro-life groups realizing that uh, we are far from being done. As we talked about with Mark Harrington a couple of weeks ago, um, this is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end. Um, this is the end of the beginning. We have got a long, long road ahead of us, especially around the world. I'm based out of Canada here. Uh, we got an awful long ways to go in Canada, um, as do many people around the world, including those in the States. And so please do keep up the good work. And as I mentioned off the top in that intro quote, um, the Christian churches are a really fascinating battleground in the conversation about abortion because we've got some, like I mentioned, that are really doubling down on their pro-life conviction. There's some that are absolutely losing all sorts of tethering and anything else and, and seemingly rushing to try to get ahead of each other when they get into um, conversations about abortion to try to be Joe Biden's best friend and try to win members of the culture towards their church by pandering to social issues. Um, um, I'm sure there's a, an awful long conversation that we can have about that. And that's why I'm excited for our today's guest, as I mentioned a couple times already, Samuel Green, President and Head Legal Counsel for Reason for Life. He's got a real cool um, backstory. He's been involved in the pro-life movement for a very long time. And he's got a tremendous amount of insight when it comes to working with pastors, priests, Christian leaders, in how to stabilize Christian churches, because at this point, I, I think that we can all probably agree that you don't necessarily need to be Christian to be pro-life. 
And yet without the Christian churches, the battle for life is nearly impossible. I mean, God can do all things, um, and and certainly the pro-life movement can do all things with God who strengthens us. And yet without the Christian churches, this is going to be an awful difficult battle. And so uh, Stephen Green, ha- uh, sorry, Samuel Green has dedicated his ministry towards stopping the hemorrhaging of Christian churches, partnering with pastors and Christian leaders so that we stop hemorrhaging pro-life um, people in our pews and start building up a, a biblical worldview that is, from its very foundation, anchored together with the pro-life movement. And so I'm really excited for this conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. And I hope that you, um, once enjoying this, that you'll tune into some of our other episodes as well. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Samuel Green, President and Head Legal Counsel for Reason for Life. Samuel Green, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. I appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on, Cam. It's a pleasure to be here. It is the pleasure is mutual. I, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think the the biblical case for life. I think engaging churches is such an important message for our audience um, to be aware of because we have a conversation coming down the tube, whether we wanted it or not. Hopefully, many people in the pro life movement wanted the abortion conversation happening, and we're going to dive into that in just a moment here, Samuel. Um, but I want to start by just getting a bit of a picture. I'm, I'm sure that some of our audience may be familiar with you and your ministry already, but for those who aren't, maybe share a little bit of about your journey in the pro-life movement and the creation of the organization that you are the executive director of. Well, so my, my passion for the issue of life actually started when I was very young. I think around the age of seven years old, I first learned about abortion and my child's heart was just devastated by the realization that this type of violence is perpetrated against the most innocent and vulnerable. And my heart was broken by that. And I believe that God at that time put this burden on my heart to work towards ending abortion. And so ever since that time, around the age of seven, that has been a goal in my life and something that has motivated many of the steps that I've taken along the way. Now at seven, my idea for ending abortion was perhaps a little too simplistic. I thought, oh, I'll just become president of the United States, which is where I'm from, and I'll just end abortion, you know, by executive fiat. <laughs> and uh, I like to joke that around the age of nine, when I became a little older and wiser, I was like, oh, gee, not not many people become president. I should maybe come up with a backup plan. You know, that's that's worse than telling your parents, don't worry, I'm going to become a famous actor. So in my nine-year-old mind, I thought well, let me become an attorney and then I can fight for children in the courts of law. And then a lot of politicians were lawyers first. So that might be good training ground. So that was what was happening in nine-year-old Samuel's mind. So I ended up going on and going to college and then law school and had the pleasure of uh, doing some pro-life litigation with a wonderful organization called Alliance Defending Freedom. And that was that was a great honor to be able to do that and, and do some of that work in the courts to try to promote the cause of life. But as I was looking at the culture and, you know, these surveys that were coming out showing that even within the Christian church, there are many who believe that abortion is morally acceptable, many that are turning to abortion. 
thought if we're going to win this issue, ultimately, we need a cultural transformation. And if we don't even have the church on board, what hope do we have of winning the broader culture? So I uh, took a leap of faith and launched Reason for Life, which is really focused primarily on trying to educate and activate Christians with the biblical case for life. Samuel, that makes a ton of sense. And and I think many in our audience have probably seen those statistics that a, a huge number of abortions annually are performed on mothers who um, cite Christian affiliation or attendance of Christian services and whatnot. And I'm curious, since you've launched um, Reason for Life and since you've been working with pastors and church communities and whatnot, what has the response been like? Have you found that there's many churches that are eager to partner with you um, because they they too recognize this gap between kind of the, the church leadership and the church congregation? Do you find that some churches are, are having a hard time to believe that this is a struggle um, within the church and you're having to really convince them that their congregation needs to be engaged on the issue? What have you found as a response to your ministry? I mean, sadly, uh, but somewhat expectedly, I found that there is a lot of resistance, which is one of the reasons that I launched Reason for Life in the first place was just as someone growing up in the church, you know, beyond the, beyond the surveys, my own personal experience in many churches over the years was that uh, pastors were, for the most part, largely silent on the issue of abortion or would maybe just sort of reference it in passing, but didn't want to dig deep into the issue. And I think that's still the common leaning of a lot of pastors. You know, there are some who thankfully are very dedicated to the issue and passionate leaders on the issue, but many others, and I'd say probably the majority, hesitant to discuss it. And I I think there's kind of two main factors that are leading to that reluctance. And one is the fear of being perceived as political. And so abortion is obviously a topic that's in the political arena. So I think a lot of pastors want to try to sort of segregate out the issues and say, oh, that's political. I'm not political. I'm a preacher. And so I'm not going to talk about the issue for that reason. And then I think there's also a lot of pastors who are simply aware of the fact that there are probably many in their congregation who have been affected by abortion in a very personal way in their past, and they're worried about causing emotional harm to those people. And so to those two points, I I try to say that uh, those are actually both reasons to share about the sanctity of life. And on the the political front, I I like to emphasize that... uh, Just because a matter of biblical truth becomes a subject of political controversy does not eliminate a pastor's responsibility to share biblical truth. In fact, it should be an indicator to us, if something's a matter of political controversy, that there's much confusion on the topic, making a pastor's uh, presentation on the truth of the Bible all the more essential. You know, a pastor probably doesn't need to spend a whole Sunday talking about why it's wrong to kill your neighbor and steal their car. Most people know that. Society tells them that's true. But society is telling people that abortion is just fine 
It's morally acceptable. In fact, it may be morally good in some situations. That's what society is telling them. And so if people are not hearing God's heart for the unborn from their pastor, where are they going to find that truth? And so pastors do need to share about the issue. Yes, it's political, but first and foremost, it's a biblical issue, and it's an issue where there's much confusion. So we need the voice of truth and reason coming from the pulpit. And then to the point about individuals who have abortions in their past, that is sadly true. And there are many in the church who are plagued with abortion regret. And normally we think of women, and and that's a sizable number of them, but also men who have encouraged or even coerced abortions. And so what an opportunity for pastors when they approach this subject to do so in a loving way and remind people of the biblical truth that we serve a forgiving God and that he stands ready to forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And once he forgives us, he doesn't dwell on our sin. So neither should we. We should go forth to do all the things that God called us to do and help bring healing to those people in the congregation who are hurting and help save other people in the congregation from walking down that same path of pain and suffering. Amen. Amen. I I think those are two really, really good points. I'm glad that you addressed them because I feel like regardless of what country you're tuning in from in our audience, that that this is probably a very real struggle for a lot of the pastors that that you're dealing with, the priests, the pastors, the, the church leaders that that you are working with that, like you mentioned, there's some that are absolutely rock solid and do a phenomenal job of speaking regularly and compassionately and compellingly on this issue. There's some that just feel ill-equipped. There's some that, that feel like they, they have to stay in their lane. There's the political issue and whatnot. And, and you know, it's ironic, right? I mean, you and I would agree that the pastors and priests are regularly talking about steeping your life in the gospel message. It's not just something that you do on Sunday mornings. It's something that should absolutely transform the way that you live. And part of living is being politically engaged. And and so I, I could respect a pastor who says, like, I'm not ready to endorse the local Republican or Democrat candidate. I hope none of the church leaders are um, endorsing the Democrat candidate. Um, but that's probably a conversation for another time. Um, like whether you want to um, engage in politics in like partisan politics, but engaging in, like you said, controversial issues that are talked about in politics, we'd never say that about drinking and driving. We never say that about child abuse or or other things that are being debated in our, our halls of, of legislature. And so why about abortion? I think there's tremendous wisdom in that. And as you break break this down to pastors, I, I would hope that they would be able to see this reason and say, yeah, you know what? I, I really should be doing more in my community or really should be empowering the pro-life ministry that's been struggling at my church um, for a long time and I've never thrown them a bone or given them a shout out or anything like that. So part of your ministry is about engaging and inspiring and empowering these pastors. But another part entirely is that equipping and mobilizing and mentoring. Maybe share a little bit about what that looks like and how maybe a pastor listening or maybe somebody who's listening and their church congregation, they genuinely want to speak out on the pro-life issue, but they just feel ill-equipped to be able to do so. What kind of support do you offer to somebody like that who wants to do a better job and and better represent um, the Christian perspective, the Christian worldview on the abortion issue? So I do think there are pastors who, as you said, want to talk about the issue and they're just not exactly sure 
about how to go about that. I think there's a lot of ways to approach the topic, and pastors will have the the best sense of what's happening within their own congregation and what can most effectively reach their congregation. But I think sometimes it's helpful to have someone who's, you know, thought about the issue a lot. Pastors can't think about every issue uh, to the same extent that like you and I can think about it, where this is kind of our life's work. And so uh, one thing that Reason for Life has made available to pastors at reasonforlife.org for free is a full written sample sermon that pastors can just go download and take. And we welcome them preaching it word for word without giving any attribution, or they can, you know, tailor it to their own style and their own church's needs. And so that's a resource that we make available. And then uh, in the United States, as as we're able to make it work, I travel to churches and I'm happy to go deliver a Sunday sermon or speak to a young adults group or youth group about the biblical and scientific case for life and lay that out. And uh, sometimes, you know, depending on the pastor's desires, even will take questions at the end of the service about things that people are struggling with personally, but they've heard other people say about abortion and, you know, just be ready to take those questions and field them. And so I think sometimes pastors like to to outsource that. And that's something I enjoy doing. So I'm happy to go in, but also I can't be in every church every Sunday. So we have that resource available to pastors as well and want to make sure that they feel equipped to approach the issue in a way that's loving and truth-filled and compelling. Love it. I, I think that's, that's so valuable. And we're going to put that um, the link to that sermon in our show notes so that anyone who, who wants to give that a read and pass that along to their pastor can absolutely do so. I think that's a phenomenal resource. And I wonder... When, when you're speaking at these churches and maybe they've got a pro-life ministry or maybe they don't, um, I, I wonder how do you balance the importance of awareness and education on our own fronts, but also the the challenge, the invitation to go forth outside of the church and, and not leave the pro-life conversation just as something that gets thrown around while people are enjoying coffee and donuts after the service, but rather something that they're empowered to speak to their friends, their family members, uh, members of their community or, or office space or whatever it may be. How do you strike the balance of building up not only the biblical case for holding the pro-life worldview ourselves, but also the biblical case for going forth and sharing this important, literally life-saving news with the people around us. What does that look like for your ministry? Well, so I do want to equip Christians to go out and share, and I want to impress upon their hearts the importance of doing so. You know, there's a lot of issues that vie for our attention, but there's no greater human rights abuse that we're facing today than abortion. And I want people to understand that and, and help them prepare. Now, if we can just get people who are attending church to realize for themselves that abortion is wrong and let that affect their behavior and the way they live, that itself is a huge victory because, you know, unfortunately, so many of the abortions that are happening are occurring uh, involving people who are attending church. So we can save hundreds of thousands uh, of lives in the United States, millions of lives internationally, if, if we can just get the people of God on board with this, but then also to equip them to go out into their world and be salt and light in a society that is in such desperate need of truth is essential. And so 
presenting that biblical case and the scientific case, I think is a great starting point. Now, there are fantastic organizations like your own that delve deep into the apologetics conversations and how people can effectively have those conversations one-on-one. I've, I talk a little bit about that, but I think that if, if someone's ready to go deeper into that, other organizations are probably the place to go to really equip themselves. But to just have the baseline, this is what the what the Bible says about life and why other people who look to the Bible as a source of truth should believe in the sanctity of life, be able to share that. That's a huge step. And then just understanding the basic science that can be compelling for people who uh, maybe don't look to the Bible as a source of truth is a very good starting point. And so I try to make sure that that comes across in my messages. Absolutely. I love it. I I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense. And I I want to dive in in just a moment here into probably some of the frequently asked questions that that you get hit by, um, whether from from pastors or from other church leaders or from members of the congregation at the end of services and whatnot. I, I think it's so valuable to have that kind of foundational baseline of at the very least, we need to, at times, like like we've been talking about, we need to convert the choir. That, that sometimes we, we get kind of told, oh, you're, you're preaching the choir, you're preaching the choir. But, but the fact that Christians are having abortions, we may be having abortions for different reasons than other members of secular society, right? That, that somebody who's not a churchgoer might not be concerned about the stigma from being pregnant and unmarried sort of thing, right? Like that, that might not rankle somebody that that isn't a churchgoer, but for a Christian woman, that might be a very profound, you know what, I I might be seeking out abortion because I don't want my parents to find out, or I don't want my pastor to find out, or things like that. There are factors that are contributing towards um, Christians having abortions that we absolutely need to address, and, and address with confidence, and with courage, and with compassion, and with regularity. And I'm sure that that you've heard some of these frequently asked questions and whatnot, or, or, or kind of rebuttals. And I'm curious how you would navigate them. I've, I've certainly navigated a, a many of them as I've worked to network with different um, church leaders here in Canada. But I'm curious, if, if a pastor were to say to you, you know what, Samuel, I really appreciate um, the, the stance for life. And, and don't get me wrong, I myself am, am passionately pro-life. But you know what? The church is focused on the abortion issue so heavily for the last 30, 40 years. It's time that we, we change our tune a little bit because we've already focused on this a lot. We've, we've dedicated enough airtime towards the abortion issue. It's time for us to address other social issues that are ongoing. If a pastor says that to you, Samuel, I'm curious, how would you gracefully kind of engage them and, and try to offer some degree of encouragement and challenge while also recognizing that, yeah, many Christian churches have been involved in the pro-life struggle for a long time, and yet that might not be good reason to disengage at this point? Where would you normally go with that kind of a, a statement from a, a church leader? Well, I mean, if you happen to be talking to uh, one of the exceptions, (laughs) one of the pastors who is sharing about the issue and the whole congregation is uh, completely on board with understanding the value of children in the womb and that abortion is a terrible wrong and they're activated and equipped, great. I'm not saying you have to spend every Sunday on this, uh, but the reality is, and again, what studies show is that there's a lot of Christians who simply do not know what the Bible has to say about life, and it's not impacting the way that they live. And you mentioned that people within the church 
they have reasons to have abortions. I say they have every reason that someone in the world has to have an abortion, concerns about financial hardships, relationship difficulties, educational or work plans. But then in addition to that, they have what you mentioned, which is the possible stigma. And so they have all the pressures to have an abortion. Society tells them abortion is fine. So do they know from the church why abortion is wrong and ought to be unthinkable and why it grieves the heart of God? And do they know that the church is ready to walk alongside them in whatever whatever difficult pregnancy circumstance they face and that the church is ready to offer the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us if someone does end up falling into sexual sin and ending up pregnant as a result? Because I think that when pastors talk about the abortion issue, it's also a great opportunity to right there from the pulpit say, you know, we believe in the Bible's teaching about God's design for sex being reserved for a marriage between a man and a woman. We think that's God honoring. It's best for you. It's best for human flourishing. We also want people to know that if if you fall into any type of sin, we don't we want you to know that God offers forgiveness and we offer forgiveness. And we never want you to turn to the sin of abortion to conceal a prior sin. That just causes more harm and more grief. And so I think that's that's a great opportunity for pastors as well. In terms of just knowing the biblical case for life, I think that pastors, you know, once like pregnancy resource centers, they're doing a tremendous work. Um, I know you have more difficulties over there in Canada with this, with your laws, but in the United States, the people who are outside of the abortion clinics, they're doing tremendous work in trying to save babies and um, prevent mothers and fathers from walking down a path of destruction at the last minute. But it's very challenging to get people in that moment of great emotional turmoil where they're heading towards this decision and you're trying to stop them on their way into slaughter. Much better if you can get people when they're not in a difficult place. And it's not just something that affects single people. It affects married people as well who aren't aren't planning for a child or end up with a child with um, health issues that they weren't expecting. So to be able to get to people ahead of time and help them understand God's heart and establish in their minds when they're not in emotional turmoil that abortion is never an acceptable option can have an incredibly powerful impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that that's what the organization I work for, the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform and this Pro-Life Guys podcast is all about, right? That they, they reach people before they even become pregnant. Because like you mentioned, for many of those who are approaching the, the abortion facility, we often talk about how they've already aborted their child in their hearts. That, that to them, that child has already died. They've already made their decision that that child... Um, is going to be killed by abortion. And so you are working to resuscitate the spirit of a child in the hearts of the mother as they're proceeding. And, and this idea of obligation and filling, um, following through with commitments and whatnot, like, like it's insane. Some of the conversations, we, we do a mission trip down to Florida um, every year or, or almost every year. And some of the conversations that I've had with people and talking to somebody who's like, yeah, but I'd feel really bad if I canceled my appointment. I mean, the, the doctor's going to get thrown off. I'm like, are you serious? You're going to go into that, that abortion facility and make a decision that, that you can never recover from and a child who will literally be killed because you feel bad for the doctor and backing out of an appointment? 
Well, like it, it's mind boggling all of the things that have already contributed towards that. And so I, I can't agree with you more about the importance of reaching people before they even find themselves pregnant. And I want to key into another thing that you mentioned, and this is probably one of the most elementary questions that, that you get, but I'm sure that you get it occasionally, this notion that the Bible doesn't talk about abortion or that somehow there is no biblical case against abortion. I'm sure that at times you think of that as one of the most asinine questions that you get asked. And yet at times I've literally been asked this as a genuine heartfelt question of, I really, as a pastor, don't know somehow, or as a Christian, I, I don't know where the Bible would be at on abortion. It doesn't really get into it. Maybe, maybe give me your elevator pitch on what does the Bible say about abortion? How do we know that this grieves the heart of our Lord and that this is something that every Christian, not just the Catholics, not just the Reformed, not just the Orthodox, um, small Orthodox folks are against? Why is it that every Bible-believing Christian needs to know that the pro-life worldview is inherent in the Christian worldview? What is the biblical case for life? What, what's your elevator pitch on that? It's a fantastic question, and it is something that every Christian should know. And I want—I know that probably most of your listeners are not pastors, so I'd say for your listeners to uh, take notes to be able to go to their pastor when they're explaining why this is a biblical issue that pastors need to talk about, they can make that case in a compelling way to their pastor. So, yeah, if you search for the word abortion in the Bible, you're not going to find that. I'll, I'll grant you that. Uh, but we know that the Bible talks a lot about the value of life. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not murder. We know about how human life is especially precious in the eyes of God. Go right to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, and you see that God made mankind in his own image. So we have those truths that I think basically every Christian accepts. I hope they accept those those uh, basic tenets of the faith. And so then we just have the question of are unborn children human beings? Because if they are human beings, then the prohibition on murder in the Ten Commandments applies to them. The fact that they're made in the image of God applies to them. And so that's what we have to look at is, does the Bible tell us anything about whether unborn children are humans or not? And so I think a lot of Christians are familiar with like Psalm 139, which is a beautiful and powerful passage about the Lord knitting uh, you know, David together in the womb and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think that's a great verse, and I use it when I preach. Uh, but I think there are some who might say like, oh, well, that might just be a little bit poetic and not necessarily literal. So I like to walk through some concrete examples in the Bible that show that God is looking at children in the womb just like he looks at each one of us and valuing them. One of my favorite examples for that is in Luke 1, which happens to be a passage that many Christians read every December around Christmas time. And there we have the account of Mary, while pregnant with Jesus, going to meet with Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And so we have this account of these this meeting of four people, two women and the two boys that they are pregnant with. And the Bible tells us in Luke 1 that when Mary's greeting reached Elizabeth's ears, that John the Baptist, quote, leaped for joy in the womb of Elizabeth. So here we have the Bible telling us that a child in the womb has experienced the emotion of joy and leaped as a result. So 
you know, for those who view unborn children as just some sort of meaningless blob of cells, I would say, do meaningless blobs of cells experience the emotion of joy, leap as a result? Of course they don't. Of course not. But children, they leap for joy. And John leaped for joy because he was a child in the womb. And he probably leapt for joy because he recognized the presence of his unborn Savior, Jesus. And uh, even Elizabeth, John's mother, makes a comment to Mary saying, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come visit me? So Elizabeth is recognizing the deity of Jesus right there in the very early stages of pregnancy. And uh, so that's, that's very powerful. And actually, if you read a little bit earlier in Luke, I think it's verse 15, but don't quote me on that. Uh, the, the, an angel tells John the Baptist's father that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And so that tells us that God valued an unborn child enough to give him the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if a child's being becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit and experiencing the emotion of joy and leaping as a result, how can we view them as anything less than human? Instead, we see the incredible value that God places on those children's lives. And if God values them, we ought to value them as well. Uh, another powerful biblical account that I like to point to comes from the Old Testament in Judges. Uh, I hope your listeners um, recall Samson, the supernaturally strong guy with really long hair who, you, you know, slew a lion with his bare hands and a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. Well, Samson had long hair because he was a Nazarite. That's someone who's consecrated to God who has to observe certain special rules. One of those rules is a prohibition on hair cutting, hence Samson's long hair. And another rule uh, involves certain dietary restrictions. And Judges tells us that the angel of the Lord came to Samson's mother to tell her that she was going to become pregnant with Samson and tells her not to eat or drink certain things because Samson is to be a Nazarite to God from the womb. So for those who say, my body, my choice, here you have a very clear account that God is viewing the woman who's pregnant with one child as, as two bodies being involved. God didn't call Samson's mother to be a Nazarite, but he called her to observe the dietary rules of a Nazarite while pregnant so that the son she carried inside of her could be a Nazarite to God even then. And that mattered to God because God saw Samson in the womb the same way he saw Samson outside the womb. There was nothing about birth that somehow transformed him. Instead, he was Samson, the Nazarite to God in the womb, just as he was Samson, the Nazarite to God outside the womb. And so there's more biblical examples, but I think just right there from Luke 1, John the Baptist receiving the Holy Spirit, leaping for joy, Samson being a Nazarite to God from the womb. Again, this is not just poetic. There are rules that apply to Samson's mother that she has to account for so that her son can follow the vows of a Nazarite while still unborn. That shows that God values children in the womb. That means we should too. Absolutely. I, I love that. And, and, and I love the work. I, I just to dovetail with that, a big shout out to my colleague, Miranda King, who is our one of our church outreach coordinators in Eastern Canada. And she's done just phenomenal work as, as a human being um, and, and everything. And one of the things that she's really worked on and developed is we have a, 
a church-focused website called Imago Dei and, and challenging people to consider what does it mean to be made in the image of God and who are image bearers? And I think it's a profound point that I, I've talked to Miranda about that she brought up and, and she's focused on of in entering into the entire human experience, Christ our Lord, um, Savior of all mankind, not just the born humans, right? It, Jesus didn't show up poof, at um, a stable in Bethlehem. He didn't pop into existence as an adult because that's whom he valued. Jesus entered into the entire human experience as a human zygote, a human embryo, a human fetus, a human infant, toddler, teenager, adult, entered into the entire human experience as a an indicator. I, I think that that's an indi- indicator as well as to how Christ and, and our Lord views image bearers and that we are image bearers as infants just as much as we are as adults just as much as we are as embryos and i think that's beautiful and i love the way that you tie in um luke one and and how beautiful of a focus that is for us i i think often of not only like you said john the baptist um as arguably a human fetus at the time but also the influence of Christ as a human embryo. We, we learned that, that Mary went in haste after the Annunciation from the angel Gabriel to go to visit um, Elizabeth and that she went in haste and that he was probably still in the first trimester, if not first or second trimester. I'm sure that I'm getting um, into the weeds, but I think this is a really, really good point. Yeah, Jesus was actually definitely in the first trimester because um, Elizabeth, I believe, was in the sixth month of pregnancy when yeah. Gabriel comes to Mary, and Mary left Elizabeth before John the Baptist was before born. So, born. so Jesus was in the first trimester. <laughs> so, Love um, it. So it it really is the fact that we are image bearers from the moment that we first exist, the moment that that human egg is fertilized, and you know we we read in Ephesians about how we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand. And, and so we think, well, when were we created? It was at the moment of conception and and going back to Psalm 139 with David saying, the Lord formed you in your mother's womb. And he did so with those purposes in mind, um, those good works that he called you to do in Isaiah, you know, the prophet Isaiah talks about how the Lord formed him and called him in the womb to be his servant. And so I say that I believe applies to every single person. God formed them in the womb to be his servant. And so when we turn to abortion, we are not just committing the sin of murder, but we are destroying someone that God created in his image to accomplish his purposes. And we'll never know what loss we have experienced individually and as a society by rejecting what the Bible calls a gift from the Lord, that child. And that's a terrible tragedy. Uh, and, and to your point about you know, pastors wanting to, to share about other issues, which there's a lot of issues that, that merit attention. But you know, we know that um, the Jesus said that there are two, uh, the two greatest commands are to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus also said that there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. Well, with abortion, we do the exact opposite. 
we take one of the greatest commandments and do the exact opposite. Instead of laying down our own life for the benefit of another, we lay down another's life for our own perceived benefit. And I know that that must grieve the heart of the Lord and must be something that thrills the devil. You know, the Bible says that the devil uh, seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy, and he's used abortion to accomplish those aims. And so the pastors who are the shepherds of their flock need to stand up and make sure that as the devil prowls about like a lion seeking whom he may devour, that they are not able to devour the the literal lives of the unborn children in the church and, and the um, parents who can suffer significant uh, spiritual and emotional and even physical harm if they are led down this path of destruction, not knowing the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I want to ask you one more before we start to tie this up and, and you can share about where people can find more and, and get in contact with you. One question. So I was literally talking to a, to a young woman about this four hours ago, um, doing some, some pro-life outreach here in Calgary. And I, I'm curious in your take that obviously there's a lot of problems in our world, like we've talked about. And a lot of those problems... Um, the church has tried to address in different capacities, and a lot of them, uh, maybe the the church's response has been lacking. And I wonder um, if you've ever had somebody say, you know, we we can't proclaim abortion to be wrong or sinful or or dare I say illegal until we fix all of the problems. We we can't say that woman can't have an abortion until we solve the poverty that she's going through. Until we. Um, prevent all forms of suffering and injustice and whatnot until we have basically a perfect world abortion needs to be available and accessible i don't know if if that's a question that comes up when you're at churches but i'm curious how do you untangle that and help people to see that whether we have support available or not is it ever appropriate to directly and intentionally kill a child to solve a problem where do you go when people cite some of the troubles that happen outside of the church or even more particularly inside of the church and that while we need to address those challenges and problems, we don't necessarily need to put abortion on a back burner or even more so allow for abortion until we've solved some of these other problems? It's a great question, and I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with, whether they express it openly or just have their own internal reservations. But I think that the question stems from our failure to view children in the womb as equally valuable to those who are walking and talking. There's still a, a mental and emotional obstacle where people are not seeing children in the womb is equally valuable. And so to, to point that out, I, I like to turn to, would we ever make a similar argument when it involves someone who is walking and talking? You know, we would, if, if, if there was a serial killer going around parks and killing homeless people, and so someone, you know, stood up to the plate to try to end that. Would anyone say, well, are, are you ready to ho house all the homeless people in the parks in your home? Because if you're not, you shouldn't try to stop the serial killer. No one would ever make that argument. We realize, like, here's the immediate uh, threat to a human life, and we need to stop that. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't also see what steps we can take 
to come alongside people in need, whether it be the homeless, whether it be the mothers who are in difficult financial situations and aren't sure how they're going to to raise their child. Um, And those are great ministries for us to pursue. And it's something that the people of God are pursuing with the you know charitable pro-life pregnancy resource centers and a lot of churches doing their own individual work. But ultimately, even if none of those resources exist, we can never say, well, it's acceptable to solve this difficulty by killing an innocent human person. We need to address that issue and stop it. Absolutely. What what I shared with the woman on the street that I just talked to was that if I observe somebody abusing their born child and I tell them to mm. stop, do they have the recourse to say, well, do you want my kid? Because unless you're <laughs> going to adopt my kid right now, I'm going to keep abusing them the way that I see fit. I mean, sure, if I'm in a position to care for that child, then maybe I do so, or maybe I connect with um, child adoptive services or social services in some capacity. But whether or not I can adopt that kid right then or whether or not social services appears immediately doesn't dictate whether or not that, that woman's allowed to beat her child. Um, I, I think that, that what you said makes a tremendous amount of sense. And so I, I'm sure that we could go on all afternoon. Um, for, for people in the audience who want to connect, who want to learn more, where do they find you and, and what can they learn or how can they learn more about your organization? Well, the best way is probably to visit reasonforlife.org, and uh, you can learn more about the organization there. You can find the sample sermon under the resources tab that I mentioned. Um, and if you, I encourage you to go try to get your pastor or your priest to share about this issue if they haven't already done so recently. And I think a great way to start that conversation is to just go along with the sample sermon and say, I, I just uh, came across this. It lays out the biblical case for life. I think there's a lot of people who don't know it and could benefit from that knowledge. And you know, there are all these there are all these studies showing that the people in the church are turning to abortion. And you have an opportunity to possibly save lives within the church. And how how tragic would it be for someone to turn to abortion simply because they never heard the truth from the pulpit? So here's. Uh, you know, I just want to lovingly encourage you. I know you've got a lot of pressures, but but this is something that I think could be uh, life-changing for adults and life-saving for children. And here's, here's a great starting point uh, on how you can approach that topic in a way that's loving, that reminds people of the forgiveness that God offers to people who've experienced abortion in the past, and that lays out the biblical case for life. And so... Um, and then, you know, if, if you're in the United States and interested in, in having me come preach or share at a Christian event or a Christian college, chapel service or something, um, feel free to reach out. You can email info at reasonforlife.org. Love it. We'll put all of that in the show notes here. Samuel, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure that, that you are hopefully very busy right now, especially with everything that's happening south of the border with um, the, the upcoming um, Supreme Court decision, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I wish you all the best with the ministry. I hope that our audience does get in contact with you. We got a lot of listeners coming from different parts of the states. And so um, just Thanks a ton for, for taking the time for chat with me um, and for all that you're doing with Reason for Life. It was a true honor, Cam, and I'm so thankful for your podcast and all the great resources that you're sharing. And it was a pleasure to be on. And um, yeah, I just encourage people to be in prayer for an end to abortion, to be bold, to be loving, and uh, 
let's keep working together as as the people of God to end this tragedy. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. All right, folks, thanks a ton for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation that I was able to have with Samuel Green from Reason for Life. I think it's really important for us to consider exactly how do we maintain the choir members. I, I, so often we talk about how we go into churches and we're speaking to the choir, we need to be out in the public, and obviously an organization like the one that I work for, Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, and so many like us are out in the culture. We are talking to people on street corners and on doorsteps, but I think at some, at some point we often forget about the choir. And sometimes the choir moves on for one reason or another. We need to make sure that we don't lose the members sitting in our church. We cannot hemorrhage people any longer from our Christian churches um, and lose them in the fight of the culture war because we got enough work as it is. We got enough to do and we cannot be trying to drag people back into the church pews. Obviously, that's not exactly what we're doing, but we need to solidify our base as we continue to expand further and further outwards as well. And Samuel Green has a very, very cool ministry to achieve that. And so I definitely want to encourage you to check out his website, uh, which is posted in the show notes, as well as that um, sermon as well. I know that different churches have different kind of expectations and norms and whatnot for their sermon. So maybe it doesn't fit perfectly into your um, your liturgy, your church um, kind of vibe or whatever it is. Um, but hopefully there's a few notes in there that, that can be helpful in how to effectively engage members of your church congregation in meaningful discussions and thought on the abortion issue. Thanks a ton for tuning in. Again, if you want to be a partner of the show and help us to continue to grow and continue to reach more people, street corners and on doorsteps, please go to patreon.com slash guys. All of your support is incredibly appreciated and is going directly towards um, fighting this fight for life. And so thanks a ton. Hope you tune in next week. We got a real cool conversation coming up next week. I believe it's going to be with either Josh Brom or Blaze Elaine. So trying to work out the exact ordering of where we want to post them, depending on what comes out um, from the Supreme Court. But stay tuned for next week. And if you're new to the show, please check out our old episodes. There's a ton of doozies in there. Um, you get to meet my um, long-lost co-host now, Peter Boss, who's an absolute champ. Um, he was with me for the first 99 episodes of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, plus all of our Humans of the Pro-Life Movement stuff. And so do check that out. Um, shout out to our team, our interns, our staff, our volunteers across the country, as well as our financial supporters. Uh, we are reaching... I think that we're we're over half a million now in Western Canada, or close to half a million of views of abortion victim photography. We've knocked on over 2,500 doors. Uh, we've had thousands and thousands of conversations on doorsteps and on street corners. Um, and that's only in Western Canada. I haven't even collected the stats from Eastern Canada yet. And so... Maybe in my conversation with Blaze, you'll get a bit of an update on where we're at nationwide for engagement on the abortion issue in Canada. Um, and huge prayers for all those around the world who are involved in the pro-life movement and whatever it is that's going on in your home country. Um, tons of prayers, tons of love to everything that you're doing. And if there's any way that we can help, whether whether it's a virtual talk, whether it's... Um, resources, our, our book stuck, complete guide to answering tough questions about abortion or other stuff like that, hit me up, email at prolifeguys.com um, and we will be in touch soon. Thanks a ton and I hope that you have a great rest of your day wherever you're at. God bless. Mm -hmm.